In a job interview, when employers rank the candidates, it turns out interpersonal skills tend to trump professional credentials. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk and hear how to make sure your interpersonal skills aren't betraying you. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Vicki Oliver, a career consultant, has written five best-selling books, although I went online and saw a sixth one, including 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions. She's a sought-after speaker, seminar presenter, popular media source, having made over 700 appearances in broadcast, print, and online outlets. That's good enough for me. Welcome to the show, Vicki. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure. Let's get to work. Um, you state that job candidates who demonstrate poor social skills during a job interview send up red flags for hiring managers, and you're not going to get an argument from me. Uh, but unpack that a little bit. What kind of red flags are you talking about? Well, the first thing is, I would say, being late. If you're late, maybe it's one minute late, you know, you're one minute late to a Zoom interview or you're one minute late to an in-person interview. But the other person thinks, oh, my God, if she's late now, what's going to happen when I hire that person? You know, one minute will become 10 minutes, could be an hour. So it's sending a really bad red flag. That said, I have to say this. If you are one minute late, I would not call and explain it because it's only going to make it worse. Just proceed. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because, you know, I've, I've always wanted to write a book called Instinct versus Logic. The instinct would be to explain it away and probably uh, make a bigger deal of it than you need to. But what you're saying is logical. I'm not so sure instinctive. So I'm, I'm even I have to work on that tip. Although I will tell you, Vicki, I am almost never late. And I want people to hear that. It's not, and some people get nervous when they're having lunch with me because they'll go, I'm you know, just jealous in this time thing. But as a salesperson, you just can't be late. So, be late. yeah. I live, I live and write in Manhattan. And I have to say, nobody is ever, can, you can never be totally on time in New York because there's always some mess up, like the traffic or something like that. So, I mean, I would say, you know, get to the interview 10 minutes early and wait on the street if you have to, but just do not be late to the actual interview if you can help it. I agree with you. And, you know, I, I uh, just to unpack that a little further, personally, I, I've been to a couple of interviews an hour and a half early because I'm in DC area and I had to get to Baltimore, but I'm meeting with Toyota and this is a big, big meeting. I just like you said, I'd rather go grab a cup of coffee at Starbucks to go through my notes, just relax a little bit, then try and hope that traffic doesn't bite me in the ear. Yes. And uh, even if I'm on time, you always have that kind of disheveled, I'm running, I'm, I got, you know, gee, Rob, it's nice to meet you. You appear to be sweating kind of look to you. So uh, let's, um, let's, let's just take the clock out of it and get there as early as we can. One less thing we have to worry about. Also, if you can show up, let's say you show up 10 minutes early and you're upstairs and it's an in-person interview. Now, I, I know that's not happening that much these days, but let's say we're going to go back pre-pandemic. 
to the in-person interview, right? If you could show up 10 minutes early, I think it's you're in an advantage because then you can sit there and you can look at people as they walk in and you can make assessments and you can figure out quite a lot about a company when you actually see the people who work there. That's smart. I like that. You know, we, we, we're talking about interpersonal skills and, um, you know, all of a sudden we, language is important to me. And sometimes what you'll hear people say is, oh, you're referring to soft skills. What do you think of that term, soft skills? I don't really like the term that much because it makes it sound like they're easy. Okay, there's nothing easy about, let's say you're working in a room with people and you don't agree with them, right? And you have your reasons and they have their reasons, right? And you're trying to persuade them. There's nothing easy about persuasion, for example, right? You need rational arguments. You can't get upset when they disagree with you. You know, you have to keep your temper. You have to stay calm. It's hard. I think those are the hard skills. And yep. what's called the hard skills should be called the soft skills. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I am, um, and you don't know this about me, but I'm 12 years volunteering to help people in career transition. And uh, worked for a long time with a group, wonderful group called Career Network Ministry. Now I run a group called Career Network Support. But we would have anywhere between 200, 250 people in a room on a Tuesday night. So we, this isn't eight or nine people. And as I got to looking at these audiences, my job was to warm them up a little bit. I started looking. I, think, I was thinking there's 200 people out there. How many of these people are sitting in that seat because their hard skills failed them? They couldn't add fast enough. Not many of them. I'm with you. I don't like the term soft skills. It diminishes those interpersonal skills, those valuable skills that you're writing about. I actually call them performance skills. I think yeah, and I, I wish schools, I wish we would take them a little bit more seriously because people who struggle with performance skills are going to struggle. And there are techniques, there's you know, books like yours, people like you who are out there helping them, but let's get out of this soft skill thing. I just can't stand it. It bothers me. I mean, that's the other thing, like you bring up, they, they're not taught, whereas hard skills are taught. So if they're taught, then they make, that, that makes them easy skills. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and the soft skills are the ones that are completely elusive. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I love I loved what you said, what you said, the hard, hard skills should be called the easy skills and the easy, the hard. I think that's absolutely true. And um, I'm actually going to write that down. Give me a day or two. I'm going to claim I thought of it. But right now it's yours. Right All now right, it's yours. I love it. <laughs> okay. Let's stay on the, um, let's, let's, let's get back to your book a little bit. And you talk about uh, these, you know, different types of interpersonal skills or red flags. That's where I was going. Uh, talk to me. I, I think in your book, you talk about 10 red flags. For the sake of this podcast, cherry pick two or three big ones. Okay. I think the biggest one is not listening. All right. When you're in an interview, you just want it to be over, right? You want it to be over. You're, you're like, oh, how am I doing? And on Zoom, it's even worse because you're like looking at yourself also. <laughs> right. So you're not only thinking, how am I doing? You're thinking, how do I look? And how am I doing? You're multitasking while you're having the interview, right? Yep. And everybody just hates being interviewed. And it's, it's like the anxiety of a first date to be interviewed by anybody, right? Yeah. But it's be over. If you're not listening to the other person, though, they know you're not listening. Right. So you're sending a really bad vibe. Uh, with that. And it's it's hard because I think we're now conditioned to multitask all the time, right? 
And if we're not texting and writing, you know, and thinking and doing like 17 things at the same time, we feel like, oh gosh, we're failing. But in an interview, it's like 100% of the time you need to be on that person and be listening to that person. It's Beautiful. very hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, in that, I, I, I don't know if you ever heard of an author named Lou Hampton. He wrote a book called Listening Powerfully. Um, and I, there's a great poll in there where he came up with the 10 most annoying listening habits. That, and, and they were put together from clients, from customers. And I remember I, I can cherry pick a couple of them, but the most striking thing about it was nine of them together didn't equal the number one uh, most annoying listening habit, which was interrupting, and, you know, and so I really try and drill that home and we got, you know, I have empathy because remember, why is the candidate interrupting? They're interrupting because they're, they're working on their next question. They've, they've got this thought, it, it's burning a hole in them. They forgot that they could take notes, but uh, so that's a, that's a big piece in there, you know, that we got to help them with. <laughs> it's funny you said that about taking notes. I mean, I wouldn't consider this number two, but I would say don't take notes. Ooh. All right. Tell me on that. It's counterintuitive, but I wouldn't take them. If you're taking notes, that means your eye contact is down on the page and you're not looking at the other person. That's one problem. It also sort of says that you're not listening that well because why do you have to take notes? But after you get out of the interview, that's the moment to pull out your notebook and take all the notes you can on what you learned in the interview. Like before you get home or, you know, before you even turn off the computer, I would say like take notes and then you can use those notes to extract like later, maybe you didn't do something so well in the interview, but you can build on yourself and learn by your mistakes too. I would write down every single thing you learned. Then when you follow up, you can reference things you talked about. All of that will be helpful. But during, I wouldn't do it. Even if, even if you feel like you're missing something, they're telling you something vital, I would say, you know, get the job <laughs> and then have them repeat it once you're working there. So glad you said that because um, you're going to change a behavior of mine. I keep thinking like a salesman. That's my problem. And so while you're saying that as a salesperson, I'm always taking notes. Now, now, let me amend that. Not always because then I'm not listening. But when the client says this is really important and it's a it's a vital piece to our company, even if I don't think it's important, I'm taking that down in my notes and I want them to visually see me do that. But it's every now and then I have to be reminded that's good, Rob, and that's a sales call. We're talking about an interview right now. And I see your point of might want to block that sales instinct of yours. And look at it more from, you know, it's, it, this is a hybrid conversation. It's a different conversation. So, uh, yeah, I tend to think, eh, it works for me in sales and I'm selling in the interview. There, I made my bridge. I'm all taken care of, but not so fast, according to you. Smart. Yeah, I, I, just, I just wouldn't do it. The other thing is, I mean, studies show that people make up their minds about somebody within the first two or three minutes of meeting them, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're taking a note, you're losing that valuable time where the person's making the impression. And I just think it, it's, it's strange chemistry. So I wouldn't do it, not for a job interview, no. But you hear that everybody? Don't listen to me. Do not listen to me. That's why we have Vicky on the show. But when it comes to sales, listen to me, listen to me. 
Okay, I got you. Give me another red flag. That was a great one. I would say don't get flustered. It's very difficult not to because we have lots of questions that we want to ask, right? You go in, you want to figure out if you're a fit too, not just if they think you are, but if you think you are, right? So you have questions that you want to ask. You have things you want to say. You want to sound smart, you know, all this stuff. But the truth is, People don't care that much about what you say. It's about the connection. And that's sort of a, a weird thing. Like, what does that mean? It's not all about what you say or even how you look or whatever. It's whether the person is feeling you. You know what I mean? Do they feel you, right? And so in some senses, it doesn't really matter that much if you forget something, you know, if you walked in with five questions and you can't remember three of them, that is not the important thing. The important thing is whether the person feels that they are connecting with you. Do they like you? When you forgot something, you know, could you make a self-deprecating joke? You know, like you left your memory behind or whatever in the train or something, something to you know, like liven it up so that they, they feel like they get you as a person. That's the most important thing, not what you say. Very cool. Uh, you know, I wrote a piece one time and I, I sometimes I'll write a piece and my favorite part is the title. <laughs> but but I, I promise you, I, I filled it in nicely, but the title was The Pursuit of Imperfection. And it was an argument of, you know, that's not, a, nobody's expecting tens um, and, and it's not relatable. So you want to be, you want to be authentic and authentic, relatable people will forget this or that. It's, it's not, if you will or not, it's how are you going to react to that? And so you flagged that flustered piece. And at first I was saying, when you said it, I went, well, that's, you know, okay, Rob, don't be flustered, but you're giving us a little bit more than that, which is, uh, you know, in a sense, just celebrate the authenticity of this conversation and realize that the person you're interviewing with has forgotten you know, a thing or two also that's relatable. So really good. Excellent. Give me one more. I, I, I only said two, but I'm liking these. I want, I want another red flag. Okay, I would just say you want to be in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be 100% authentically there, all right? So that to me leads to a lot of other things, all right? So in other words, you don't want to dress for the gym when you show up at the job interview, right? right. Or dress for a date afterwards, or, or no matter how fun it is, you want to look like you're there for that particular job, right? You want to be in the moment. You don't want to carry in luggage with you. Let's say you were traveling, right? You don't want to walk in with five bags, right? Like she's carrying baggage already, you know? Right. This type of thing. You want to be like completely there with the person. So I would say everything you can do to just be there and be sort of in your mind as grateful as you can be, you know, like right. grateful for the opportunity of meeting the person. Yeah. And, you know, um, if I can add to that a little bit that, you know, so how do I show you that I'm grateful to me? One of the easiest ways to do it to get to an emotion is to think like an actor. In other words, um, take yourself to a moment where you were grateful. Maybe there's a little bit of, maybe your heart's beating a little bit fast and your knees are knocking, but when was the last time you were truly grateful and spend a moment there? Um, and, it's funny how, the, believe it or not, Carol Burnett said this, of all people, Carol, I'm going to quote Carol Burnett today. Go Carol ahead. Burnett, <laughs> Carol Burnett said, 
the body doesn't know when the mind is acting. And, and I just, I found that to be really enlightening in terms of if we can get there, uh, ourselves there emotionally, um, the body's going to go right along with you. And that means, you know, calming down, you know, displaying the emotion that you just mentioned. Uh, but it, sometimes it's just take, you know, if you can't find it, I know you've been there before. What was that like? I'm so worried about candidates that are cramming all sorts of responses to answers in their head. And that's the last thing that went into the brain before the door opened. And we heard, you know, Mrs. Johnson, we'll see you now. <laughs> um, I'd rather think, be cramming, not cramming, but be thinking about when's the last time where I was just, everything I touched just worked. Uh, well, you know, and, and now I can feel my body loosening up because it doesn't know I'm acting. And what was that like? Oh, yeah, that was two, a year ago, a month ago. And, and, and Mrs. Johnson will see you now. Well, I know she will. Let's go have that talk. But, I really like yeah. that. Yeah. Really like that. It's so much better than the sort of fake it till you make it thing. You know what yeah. I mean? It's getting at the same thing in a way, you know, smile and like the world will smile with you, you know, this type right. of thing. But it's so it, I like it. Um, it's just it's just it's a nicer way of saying it. And it's and it's actually in the end, it's easier because you're 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 you no matter how difficult a job search is. And I deal with some real tough ones, you know, three, four, five years. Um, these are tough. These are these are chronic. There's always been moments of success. There's always been moments of pride. Um, that's what we we've got to find. Um, and if we find that, now go ahead and ask me about my previous job. Now go ahead and ask me about the biggest challenges or what happened. Uh, I'm just carrying a different emotion with me and not, I know I learned that when I memorized it somewhere, I'm sure I'll be able to regurgitate it for you. Uh, you know, that's not good selling to me. Um, I actually, you know, I have some things about that in my books, like the stress reaction and stuff you can do, like when you're feeling that, even in the middle of a job interview. Like if somebody's asking you a question and you just can't answer it, I mean, sometimes it's better to take a little break and ask, right. you can just take a little break, you know, and just get a little bit of water or something, something to break the stress. Right. Break the mood, you know? The other thing is, yeah. if you really feel like you um, didn't perform that well, you know, it's also possible to do better after, like when you're following up with a person, you can follow up, like use the thank you letter to the person to follow up on something that you don't think you quite nailed in the conversation. And that should help your chances too. Plus it'll make your follow-up more interesting than everybody else's because you'll be talking about something that you already discussed in the interview. Is that what I find that in the uh, 301 smart answers yes. to a tough interview questions? Is that yes. in that one? Yes. Perfect. Good. I like that. Anything that will calm us down, you know, we, even uh, I did some acting, you know, years ago and, you know, even for a professional speaker, listen, if, if we can get rid of the anxiety and I don't like the word nervous, um, I can't do anything with it, but we will, we should feel a little anxious. Anxious is good. Uh, I know we won't be flat when we're anxious, but if we can get past that and, and, you know, if I were having a cup of coffee with a friend and they asked me that question, would it be a big struggle? No. Okay. Well, we got to get there. We got to figure that one out um, and get, and that's where, again, that authenticity starts coming back in. So, yeah, you know, if let's say you're the type of person that you tell jokes really well, right. 
that can be a good icebreaker. If you, if you know how to tell jokes well and you tell a really good joke in the meeting, you know, things are gonna go very, very well for you. Um, so it's whatever you can do to make yourself feel like you're authentic, but you're also not nervous. Excellent. Now let's go, let's go to, let's go to a physical behavior because we are not going to be in the pandemic for the rest of our lives. Do you hear me? We are not going to be here for the rest of our lives. So uh, we are going to shake some hands now and then. Um, I, I, you know, I, I thought that the handshake was dead. I thought we really going to be fist bumping now. Is that what happened? But no, I I'm out there uh, conducting seminars again and everybody wants to shake my hand. Uh, and, and I'm okay with it. You can grab my hand. Uh, but you write about that a little bit. Yes. Um, that, so, so what can we ascertain from that first handshake? Well, you can tell if the person feels confident. If they just give you a limp little shake or something, they're probably quaking inside. And if they grip you really hard, that can be overcompensation. You don't want to, you don't want to kill the person's hand when you take right. it. Just right. like a little bit of pressure will do you. You know, I, um, I'm asked that question a lot, quite frankly, and, and my response is similar and yet a little different. People say, well, ask me, Rob, how hard, I remember talking about a sales call now, okay? <laughs> this hybrid, Rob wants to get back to his safety island, but uh, how hard should we shake this client's hand? And my answer is always the same, as hard as, as, hard as that hand's coming in. So if, if that hand, I mean, I've had clients that really put the vice on my hand. I'm not trying to out vice them, but it's going to be a firm handshake from me. If the handshake is a little bit weaker, I go a little bit weaker. So, uh, and, and it's, it's actually an interesting metaphor. We don't have to be talking about handshakes all the time of basically matching the pressure um, that we're feeling from that other individual. Perhaps even uh, how much schmoozing should we do? I'm in a sense, matching the pressure, not being intimidated. If somebody is a dominant interviewer, uh, good. And they don't want to, but there's not a lot of schmoozing. Then why would I be schmoozing? Right? right. Yes. I actually talk about this also, uh -huh. um, you know, being an introvert or an extrovert in an interview. I mean, it, as a general rule, I would say, even if you're introverted, it's better to be a little more extroverted than you normally are in an interview. Probably, right. probably, because you don't want it to be completely one-sided. A lot of people, when they go in the first few interviews, they think, oh, somebody's going to ask me 20 questions, and then I have to answer the 20 questions. But in fact, you're really going more for a conversation, right? You don't want them to ask you 20 questions. You want them to ask you 15, and you know, and then you maybe ask them five, and it's a back and a forth. That, that really helps. If you're extroverted, I would say don't drink too much coffee <laughs> before you go on the interview because <laughs> you don't want to overpower somebody with your personality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it reminds me of a funny story. I, I, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I gave it up for a year. Doctor was looking at to see if I had a food allergy and, and caffeine was one of the things he wanted to eliminate. And I got rid of it. And then I made the, the terrible mistake when my year was up got all excited. I was speaking and it was an evening presentation. I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to break that drought with a cup of coffee right before I go up there. And um, boy, I got to tell you, I had one whale of a talk. They had a participant guide that was about 12 pages long. I looked at the clock. I was 35 minutes speaking and I hadn't gone past the cover 
Yeah, we hadn't, we hadn't opened the participant guide yet because Rob was on a roll. Uh, yeah, I would be careful of that coffee. Plus, for some people, it, you know, it can create a little bit of shake in the hand. Just uh, you just don't know how that caffeine's gonna, uh, you know, work itself through. Right. Oh, but you know what? So we're coming up to a sort of an interesting point. So to the extent that you can, I would say research the person who is interviewing you mm-hmm. in advance, and maybe you can get lucky and read an article that they wrote or something and try to figure out their personality a little bit from something out there. Maybe you can see a video of them speaking, yeah, yeah. something like that. And you can get a feeling when you watch videos of somebody who you're going to interview, be interviewed by, you can sort of feel their personality and yep. then you can adjust accordingly. Yeah. And actually, you know, if we go virtual, we will get we'll it'll be fast, but we're going to get a look at that office, assuming there isn't a you know virtual background. And if I see a lot of clutter, that tells me one thing. If I see it bare bones, nothing on the wall, I know we're probably going more dominant. If I see a bunch of piles, I'm guessing analytical. And um, that goes with the emails, too. Uh, a lot of times we can get a head start. Because I don't know about you, but I've sent emails where I go, can't wait to meet with you. And it's so exciting. And who knew? And, and the email will come back, bring, you know, b- bring the book, you know, without even like, a, they didn't even capitalize anything as an exclamation point at the end of it. I feel like just two different personalities, a very social personality, mine, and I'm seeing a more dominant personality theirs, but I'm not taking it personally. Now I am going to do a little bit more research when I go in there. I, I don't know if I want to just throw out a couple of softball questions in an interview of tell me all about the company, <laughs> you know, or uh, uh, that a dominant interviewer is not going to really want to go into that. Maybe you could have done that before you got here, that kind of thing. So right. we can guess, but we got clues. Right. By the way, I feel really bad that I see clutter right here in my office behind me. I wish that I had cleaned it up for this <laughs> Ah, yeah, I see a couple piles. I'm, I'm going to land a little closer. <laughs> I know everybody gets a little nervous when I'm interviewing the guy. Right, so what, what, what do I got? But uh, I'm not making any claims, uh, but I am. Uh, I, I think I got your personality down. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let, maybe one or two more questions. First of all, um, you talk about attire and what to wear for an interview. Yes. Okay. So this is, this is I think, a very good a little tip. What I would do, I would go online and I would look up the company and I would try to find their website. And then I would try to see if they have pictures of their employees who work there. Hmm. And I would see how they are dressed. And for my interview, I would dress 25% more professionally than I would need to be were I already working there. So let's say everybody that you see their employees are on skateboards. It's a very youthful culture, right? It's a startup company, you know? And so everybody's very casually dressed. Still, when I went on the interview, I would kick it up a notch. Even for that situation, I would kick it up a notch. If they're, you know, sort of semi-formal, I would go a little more formal. You want to be 25% more than you would need to were you already working there. That to me just shows that you understand their culture, you have respect for the interviewer, you know, you get them. And remember, there is that snapshot impression that they're going to make. Like, will she fit in? Yeah, she'll fit in. You know, she's dressed properly. So that's what I would try to do. Yeah, um, great point. And I love the 25% up. I, I, I'm the same way. I, when I deliver a seminar, for instance, and, it, and I can make a customer uncomfortable. It actually took me a few years. Remember, I'm an ex-Xerox guy. 
to um, drop the tie and the suit and the white shirt. But I had clients going, this is our kickoff meeting. We're playing golf. We, you know, right. I'm working. Um, well, yeah, but I can work and also not make the customer uncomfortable. So, uh, but I, I love that. Uh, I'm not really trying to match that pressure. I'm matching it and just adding that little bit of percentage. Exactly. Uh, I, I just think it's a no brainer. Exactly. You make do a great it. point about, you know, if you're too overdressed, right. Then you're intimidating the other person. That's, you don't want to do that either. Right. Right. And you're also, uh, sort of stating, uh, obviously, I don't know the culture of this company real well. Uh, I, 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 I wish, um, you know, Rob from the future had re reached out and said, hey, hey, knucklehead, uh, I, I get the part you're working. Drop the tie, open the collar and uh, lose the sports coat five minutes into the presentation. And this audience is going to love you. Um, I mean, that's the game. And it, it, for me, I'm trying to in an interview and, you know, people think, well, Rob, do you interview? I interview, I'm interviewed every single week. That's how I get gigs. Uh, I have a lot of things I want to get accomplished, but one really top of the list is I want you to feel comfortable with me and I want you to trust me. Exactly. Uh, everything else, I, I may not, I may not have every bullet on that uh, job qualification, but I'm, but, but you're convinced that I'm going to work well with the team, be easy to manage and, and work as hard as I can. A lot of that other stuff will come to us, right? Exactly. By the way, if you get to your job interview 10 minutes early and you're wearing a tie and jacket and you see five people who aren't, okay, <laughs> you know, it's like, go hang the jacket and put the tie, take the tie off, you know, yeah. right? You know, there was a commercial, I forgot even what the ad was for, but there was a, a couple guys waiting in the waiting room and this guy's looking up at the wall and uh, he runs out, comes back a few minutes later, his head is completely shaved. But on the wall is like every CEO and every single one of them has a shaved head. And the guy comes out, looks at him, smiles, extends his hand and brings him back in the office. And the other candidates are looking like, oh, what, 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 what happened? Uh, matching the pressure, matching the pressure. That's hysterical. I have not seen that, but I really like that. Yeah, that would be a good one to slip, slip into one of your seminars. Actually, it's a pretty quick, a quick one. I think you Google it, you'll find it. All right. Last question for you. Uh, you write, and I, I found this to be interesting. You were talking about um, if there's a single blunder and it's inexcusable, um, how to tell that? How to tell that if you're if it's a sign of more trouble to come? How do you do that? Well, do you mean if you make the blunder? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Because I, when I'm coaching people, there and at me too we get paranoid and all of a sudden we're, we're hanging, you know, I probably didn't say this right. My shirt was, you know, crooked. I, we're, we're our heads all over the place, but I'm talking about the inexcusable one. Um, and I'm talking about us making that mistake. Yeah. I would say, you know, it's hard to, you, you run a risk really of highlighting it actually, you know, Sometimes it's just better to let things go because if you keep picking at it, then the person keeps thinking about it. And then the entire interview just becomes against that blunder that you made, you know, that you wish you didn't do. So I'm not sure I would like apologize or backtrack. I think I might just keep going forward. You know? yeah. Yeah. That is, if it was a really bad blunder, I don't think I would bring that up in the thank you note afterwards, you know? You don't want to keep like, oh, 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 I really made that terrible mistake, you know? Sometimes yeah. you have to sort of like 
be Teflon and kind of let it go, you know, and hope that they will. Yeah, I'm hearing Shakespeare in my head, thou doth protest too much. Exactly. Um, again, everybody, it, it, it's one of the most unhealthy things, I think, is to just pick apart. I'm constantly, when I'm coaching people, so I'm, you're, you're way far too far under the weeds there. Um, and again, you're, you're, you're allowed to stumble, you're allowed to stutter, you're allowed to drop your pen, pick it up. <laughs> the, the, the interviewer drops their pen too. I know, I know like somebody that fell, fell up, you know, on his rear <laughs> in an interview, you know what I mean? He got the job. It, just, uh -huh. it, it depends, like, you know, if you can brush it off, you're usually better off. Right. You know, in, there's, there's something in the seminar world that I tell people that, you know, the only thing an audience struggles with is no matter what catastrophe has happened to you, if you look like you're upset about it, if so, if you stumble over a cord, but you truly look sort of crestfallen, um, it the audience feels terrible, and the, and now that 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 illusion, that conversation, that bond is broken. If you stumble over a cord and you sell something, say something, as you mentioned earlier, just something silly here. Watch up. There's got to be another cord. I'll show you how to do it, but but right legged this time. Uh, now the audience doesn't feel sorry for you, and the audience and and it's fine and like you said you know that might be the part that they actually end up remembering but i think that's really important when we're communicating with people is if it doesn't if you're not upset by it they won't be upset by it but if you are yeah it's going to upset them yeah exactly all right last question i'll let you go uh, give me a mentor or two of, of yours that maybe help shape the direction that you've gone well um First of all, mentors are very difficult to find, you know? Oh, yeah. But very difficult to find. But I would say there was one gentleman at one of my jobs who came in. He was not in my department. Um, he was, I, I was a creative person. I was writing, you know, advertising copy uh, in my first career. And he was an account person. And he came in and he really, he really concentrated on our public speaking skills. And he criticized them a lot, but he also sent us to classes to get better, you know. And he had a lot of interesting expressions, and sometimes they didn't go over too well with us, but I felt like I learned a lot from him. I think mentors are just people that you feel like you can go and you can ask them a question, and they care about you and your development, you know, and they're not competing with you. And I think. I believe that mentors can be, you know, people who are above you on the corporate chain or much younger than you are or work at a different company. You know, a mentor can just be a friend of yours. Also, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that you report to. Um, it's just somebody that gives you great advice as you're moving forward. So if we look at it that way, you know, we can all have tons of like board of directors of people that we can go to and ask for their help with things. Right. Yeah. I mean, other than my father, uh, I, I'm with you on that. And, and it's funny, I, I, didn't, I don't go looking for a mentor. I never have, but mentor, it typically finds you in a sense. And um, I, I'm, you know, I'll give a shout out to uh, uh, an individual I've never brought up before, a guy named Larry DeMoncus um, at Xerox, just a big bear of a man who really, um, I like the way he did his work. 
I like the way he handled, I like the way he ate lunch. There was, it just was an interesting guy to emulate. And he took the time to be interested in me and to try and help me, you know, improve and get better as a, as a speaker. And um, I'll always be, um, I'll, I'll always remember Larry. So yeah, that, that's my mentor back. But you're right. I, I, it's not like I go, now I must find a mentor. You look like a mentor. You know, there are people I think that have on their cards. I'm your mentor. No, not really. A guy with a card. Sometimes if you have a particular issue, like when I, when I have a particular issue, I think about people I know who are good at that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Let's say I don't get along with somebody. I think about people I know, like how would that person handle this, you know? And then I might call them and ask them about the situation. Yeah, I think you're right. How do people get copies of your book? I know the answer, but I'd like to hear it from you. Oh, thank you. Okay, so 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions is available on Amazon and places where books are sold. And if I could just give a shout out about my website, it's very easy to remember. It's vickyoliver.com, pretty easy. And it's V-I-C-K-Y, Vicky with a Y, oliver.com. And there's a lot of articles on my website and more information there um, that I think is helpful for people. Good. Yeah, I've been to your website. Nice website. Um, and uh, I see a lot of your books on the website. So uh, do you have a, you have an author's page on Amazon? Yes. Good. Okay. So we go to Amazon. We can see them all, right? Okay, and I see some... them all and or my website. Good. Good. And as I said, we'll put that on our landing page as well. Vicki Oliver, I appreciate your time. I learned a few things. I thought I was going to be teaching you, but that didn't happen. I learned a bunch from you today, and I'm grateful. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm grateful, too. Good. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com.